We're looking in the book of Habakkuk on uh, our Sunday night services, the third message that we're going to be considering out of this Old Testament book. Uh, when believing gets tough, when believing gets tough, we've approached this uh, under the general heading that, you know, there are times that believers uh, struggle with issues that unbelievers really don't have. There are things that our faith uh, causes us to struggle with. And we want the struggle, of course, is to continue believing and to hold on to our faith even when things aren't working out as we anticipated. We'll talk about some of those struggles that we've seen in just a moment, but I want to direct your attention to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, where God is speaking here to the prophet and through him to all of us after all these centuries. Woe to him who builds a town of bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire? And nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what a great promise. That uh, we'll see it has a particular connotation within its context in just a few moments. Uh, we saw last week, the, a couple of weeks ago, the burden of Habakkuk. And we would have much preferred, as we noted then, that it would have started with the blessing of Habakkuk because when a book starts out, the burden of Habakkuk, you know it's going to be covering some heavy stuff. And of course, we have. Uh, you'll remember, if you were here, for those of you who are not, uh, Habakkuk was concerned about the approaching army of the Chaldeans. And so he began to pray to God, you know, the Chaldeans are coming. And uh, that reminded me of that uh, uh, old story about the Comanches. And the Comanches are coming. Uh, the, and uh, uh, the Chaldeans Chaldeans are coming. And somebody's told me last Sunday night, I should have said, and the COVID is coming. You know, the, the Chaldeans are always coming. Uh, something is always going on. Something is always threatening us. Something is always challenging us. When we look out and survey the scenes and situations of our life, it seems like we go from one challenge to another. Something is always coming. And a lot of times, we're just like Habakkuk. When we say to God, God, uh, you know, I'm not sure you've noticed this. Not sure you know about this. I, I need to tell you something. The, the Chaldeans are coming, and I want to know when you're going to do something about it. And, of course, God responded, uh, I'm going to work a work in your days, Habakkuk, that you won't believe, though it were told you, uh, which is uh, God's way of saying, Habakkuk, if, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. Uh, but then God went ahead and told him anyway. Uh, you see, God had already done something about the armies of the Chaldeans. He had brought them. They were coming to Israel as an implement of His judgment against the nation. Now, Habakkuk objected to this. He said, God, you know, that's not right because you're using a nation more wicked than Israel. Israel's got its problems, but the Chaldeans are way worse than us. Why would you use an evil nation like that? And Habakkuk was pretty upset about that. He climbed up in his tower after he had said his peace and counted to three, waiting for God to give him the answer, the response. And, of course, God didn't leave him long to wait. Chapter 2, then, is mostly God responding to that. For the most part, then, we're going to see God dealing with this, but interspersed in this are the special burdens that sometimes we have as people of faith, as believers in Christ. 
Because we believe, we maybe struggle with issues that others don't. Uh, we struggle with times when God doesn't respond on demand. When we're calling out for God to do something with all the sincerity that we can muster. We're believing God. We're trusting God. But then God, God doesn't move on our timetable. And that causes us to struggle. Do we keep believing even when God doesn't move as quickly as we want Him to move? And then even worse, do we struggle? Do we continue to believe even when God doesn't do what we expect Him to do? Uh, you see, Habakkuk intended for God to tell one of those other great stories, many stories that had happened in the land of Israel in the past. It could have been one of those times where, you know, God uh, just brought down a thunder or two and a whole army died. They got up the next morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. They went to sleep and woke up dead. Um, could have been one of those times where, uh, you know, the, the, the fire just came and, and devoured them like they did with Elijah and uh, let, let the fire just consume you. Could have been another great story of God's deliverance against impossible odds. That's what Habakkuk wanted. But it's not what he got. Uh, God was not going to deliver Israel at this time, and it's a struggle to us. It causes us to struggle when God doesn't do what we expect Him to do, and we struggle when God tarries. But as Habakkuk got up in his tower, we saw last week, he began to think about the greatness of God, and he saw God's glory, and he saw God's eternal nature, and how that God is all-knowing. This wasn't something that had taken him by surprise. God had a purpose, and that purpose was going to be accomplished. All those things were built around that first statement that God made to Habakkuk. The just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Now in our passage tonight, God is going to do a lot of talking about the Chaldeans. Not once, not twice, but five times God pronounces a woe, W-O-E, woe upon the Chaldeans. I'm afraid we would read over that and not really contemplate how serious it is for God to say, God to say, woe unto you. God didn't say that a whole lot. When we find it in the scriptures, it's there for a reason. That is a horrid, horrible, terrible pronouncement of judgment. Woe, woe unto you. Woe unto you. Interestingly enough, most of the time that God says woe, it was to his people. Woe unto you that are at ease in Zion. It's one of the most famous ones. Interesting. Five times in this passage, God was going to spill out what he was going to do to the Chaldeans. So uh, the, there was going to come a time in their judgment. We saw a little bit about that last week. But five times, verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, verse 19, God says, Woe unto the Chaldeans. So... God was telling Habakkuk, you know, I'm going to deal with them. Don't worry about that. I've, I have a plan for the Chaldeans. They're, they're going to have their time. But then he has a couple of verses in this that he directs toward Habakkuk. And, and just several passages. And 
uh, we're going to see then Habakkuk's response. Now, interestingly enough, that this book, though it begins with a burden, is going to end with a song of praise. Uh, chapter 3 is Habakkuk's song, song. And uh, it's going to talk a lot about uh, uh, how he has responded then, now that he's heard from God and he understands what God is doing. And so though it started out with burden, it begins with doxology, glory to God. Uh, God's real good at doing that. He has a wonderful way of turning our burden into a song. And he does that in this great book. But before he gets there, he's going to talk to him about a couple of things. And then we're going to see just one brief thing that Habakkuk said in response. Notice in our text again, let me read this to you, verse 12. Again, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, Isaiah would prophesy that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And that is a messianic prophecy. It refers to the kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and the earth, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Jeremiah had prophesied that during this time, nobody was going to say, Know the Lord, because he said, They will all know me from the least even unto the greatest. Uh, they'll all know me. And so uh, there's coming a time when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and people will know the Lord, and it's going to be a glorious time. But you'll notice that Habakkuk added that one expression. Uh, they will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It wasn't that they were going to know the Lord, but that they were going to see a demonstration of His glory. Actually, in this context, it speaks more of a time of judgment that God was going to get glory over the Chaldeans and it was going to sweep over them like the waters of a flood. Now you might wonder why that he would mention the waters that uh, would then cover the sea. We can understand it if he's going to say that waters would cover the earth. But if you've ever uh, been around uh, in our own Gulf Coast, for example, and I go down there a lot, uh, when you see flood waters up here and the, and the fresh water goes pouring out over that salt water, the salt water is denser than the flesh water. The fresh water floats up to the top and it just spreads almost like an oil slick. It's that dirty brown water up top. But they say, and I'm not a diver, but the divers say you could dive down a little deeper and the salt water is still down there and still clear, crystal clear clear. The waters just cover the waters. <laughs> Interesting thing, uh, but just to let you know that's what God was talking about. When it sweeps over like a flood, whether it's in the land or whether it's on the water, <coughs> it has a way of just sweeping over them. And that's what the glory of the Lord was going to do. You see, the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel <clears throat> were convinced that they were going to wipe out the name of God, and wipe out the people of God. That what they didn't kill, they would take to their own homeland and incorporate them so deeply into their society that they wouldn't even remember after a generation or two where they came from. They'd forget about God. You see that play out in the book of Daniel and how fervently they tried to bring those young Hebrew boys in and, and those Hebrew people and Teach them how to eat their food, how to speak their language, even to be known by their names. 
the names of their gods. That was their plan. <laughs> but God had another plan. And the other plan was this, and it's spelled out in this passage. He said, Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labored to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain? You see, God saw all this that the Chaldeans were doing, all that his enemies were doing, all of the effort that they were putting in trying to overcome uh, God's people and overcome God's purposes and overcome God's plan. And he said, all their labor is not going to do anything but feed the fire. Why? Because everything they were doing was going to go up in smoke under the divine judgment. It was just going to make the fire bigger and the flames hotter. And so they're wearying themselves in vain. And I know I talked a little bit about our nation this morning, but folks, it's right here in our text again. I'm telling you, our nation tonight is wearying itself in vain. It is going through a lot of work, doing a lot of work. I mean, they're working hard. I'm not going to say that they might not accomplish some things. Remember, the Babylonians uh, did indeed conquer Israel. I'm just saying that God has a way of bringing those plans to nothing and bringing his plans to pass. So that all their efforts go up in smoke. All their efforts are in vain. And they weary themselves, wear themselves out, literally, trying to beat down God and his people. And they don't do it. You see, for us who are caught in this, <laughs> caught in a trap of we call time, and we can't get out of it, we, we have a very finite and limited view of things day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. Uh, that's the way we see things. Has it? We see what's in front of us. We have limited plans, and all we see is the way things are going right now. And I'll tell you, it looks pretty bleak. It looked pretty bleak to Habakkuk too. <laughs> but God sees the end. And the end's not in question. He knows what he's going to do. And so he calls out to Habakkuk and he calls out to us. Is it not of the Lord? Don't you think I'm up to this? Don't you think I can burn their plans up? Don't you think I can make their plans come to nothing? Don't you understand that if I set myself against them then they can work as hard as they want to and all they're going to get is tired. Let's understand that as a people of God, if we set ourselves against God's purpose, against God's plan, or against God's truth, we can weary ourselves and wear ourselves out. And all we're going to get is tired. And when we've gone as far as we can go and we're as tired as we can be and we sit down and throw up our hands and say, I can't do this anymore. Guess who's going to be sitting there waiting on us? Well, are you tired? You wore out now? Or as he said to that other Old Testament prophet, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing off down here, son? That's after he had ran for 40 days and 40 nights. What are you doing here? God was there waiting for him. 
Oh, the weariness that comes to nations, the weariness that comes to people, the weariness, yes, even that comes to God's churches. If we sit ourselves against the purposes and plans of God, we can wear ourselves out. Oh, we're going to get tired. But at the end, God knows what's going to happen. If God determines to move in judgment, then that judgment is going to come and it's going to move like water across the earth or across water. It's just going to happen. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. <clears throat> Woe to him then who builds a town with bloodshed, the nations that weary themselves in vain, because God has a purpose, a plan to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. They may not know him, but I can tell you tonight, by the time God is done with this world, people are going to know what a glorious, powerful, almighty God he really is. And so, the first thing God talked to Habakkuk about was about His glory. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as uh, the waters cover the sea. <laughs> but I really like the second part. I like the first part. But I really like the second part. Verse 18. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molder, molded image, a teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake! To silent stone, Arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. Now it's a very valuable rock or piece of wood. <laughs> but it's still a rock or piece of wood. Yet in it, God says, there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. That was one of the arguments that Habakkuk had presented to God. He said, you know, God, they're going to do all of this and then they're going to give the glory to their idols, their false gods. They're going to praise their false gods and said that they're the ones that did it. And so God responded to this. Well, you know, they sit down and they carve out their image and they cover it up with silver or gold. They put a, make a stone, they carve it out and cover it with silver and gold, but there's no life in it, no breath in it. There's nothing to it. It's still just a hunk of wood or a hunk of rock. That's all it is cannot speak, it cannot give counsel, it can't do anything. Obviously, God was not threatened by the presence of idols. And so he said to Habakkuk, you remember, the Lord is in his holy temple. The throne of God has not been abdicated. God has not stepped down. He is still in his holy temple. And the appropriate response to that was to be quiet. There was a time, you see, Habakkuk had done a lot of talking, and I'm wondering when God said this to him if he didn't regret some of the things that he had said. I've certainly regretted a few things I've said to the Lord along the way, and maybe you have too. 
let all the earth keep silence. The silence there is a statement of all. What do we have to say when God is there to speak? Are we going to interrupt him? Are we going to say, now let, let me tell you something. We said, well, that, now that's good. Uh, we're not going to interrupt God. We're not going to talk over God. When God is in the house and God is speaking, the appropriate response for us is to be quiet and to listen to what he has to say. And if we don't, then uh, God is going to continue to speak and he may have even more things to say and sometimes even harsher things to say. But it speaks to us then about the awe and the reverence and the fear that we have toward Almighty God, the fear of God. Now I know tonight we love God and we have an incredible demonstration of His love for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. We know how much God loves us and we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. So we know about God's love and we have God's love, but I'll tell you, the fact that God loves us and we love Him does not remove from us our responsibility to hold God in awe and to revere Him. And of course we do. Maybe not enough, but we do. The question that comes to us, especially in light of our overarching theme then, this theme of Habakkuk and the struggle sometimes that we have with faith, the times when our faith is difficult, when it's hard for us to continue to believe. Do we, do we fear a downturn in the economy? Do we fear that gas prices may go above $5 a gallon before the year's out. Do we fear? We see grocery prices going through the roof with no way to stop. Do we fear the possibility of an economic downturn on a national level or perhaps even on a personal level? Does it frighten us sometimes? What about sickness? We're in the middle of a pandemic still. Hundreds, thousands of new cases, multiple deaths in our state and around the country. Some of you are on the front lines of this, and many of our church family are struggling with it because they go to work as nurses and healthcare professionals. They fight this battle every day. And I want you to know tonight that I pray for you, I pray for you regularly. Because I know the strength that you stand in need of right now. Not going to minimize this pandemic. But there's something worse than getting sick and even dying of COVID. And that's to live your life without knowing Jesus Christ and dying without Him. See, so do, we, do we fear the downturn of an economy? Or do we fear the judgment of God? Do we, do we fear... Sickness, or, or do we fear those things more than we fear God? Do we worry about getting through such things? Do we worry about getting through an economic downturn if it comes? Do we worry about getting through a sickness if, if we get sick? Do we worry about how to get through? 
or is our concern perhaps more ably expressed? If God decides for me to get sick, will I be able to get sick and still believe in Him? What if I get bad sick? Will I get bad sick then and still believe in Him? If I have to have surgery, will I have to have surgery believing in Him? Will my faith endure? That's what I'm asking you. Not just about getting through, but do we get through with our faith intact? Are we able then to have the faith to endure it if God decides for us to go through it? And so God would speak to Habakkuk about uh, the glory of the Lord. The earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And the nations are going to weary themselves in vain. (laughs) Oh, that's just a great passage. I can't help but smile when I say it. Because the nations are just so convinced these days that they're going to overcome the purposes and plans of God. They're not. They're wearying themselves in vain. They cry out to their false gods, their false uh, idols that they have trusted in and put their belief in, whether it is the gods traditionally of wood and stone or the more untraditional gods of today's culture, the gods of science and the gods of technology. They can only get you so far. But after all this, then, we go to the end of the book. I want to read you a passage quickly tonight from what Habakkuk said to summarize his thinking. After he's listened to God, climbed up on his tower, looked at things, heard what God had to say, he sings a song. And then I want to see this last passage, verse 16. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. (laughs) Whose voice? You know whose voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And he didn't have the strength to stand. He just, I trembled in myself. But he had a prayer that I may rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Uh, See, God had promised a time of judgment on his people and a time of judgment on the Chaldeans. And what a prayer then that Habakkuk ends up with. I want to be able to rest in the day of trouble. Uh, For some of us, rest is always a challenge. I struggled with insomnia for many years. I finally got to the point in desperation. I went to the doctor, and if I go to the doctor, it's pretty bad. And I said, Doctor, I've got to have something. Surely there's something that can help me sleep. I've tried it all. He had a simple solution. He said, do you find yourself sitting in front of the TV at night, watching TV and getting sleepy and maybe going to sleep in your chair? And I said, yeah, I do it nearly every night. He said, get up and go to bed. (laughs) Your body has a clock. It tells you when it's sleepy. Listen to it. When you're sleepy, forget about that clock on the wall. Listen to your body clock. When you get sleepy, go to bed. I started doing that. Been doing it ever since. I might go to bed at 8 o'clock at night and get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So what? I've had seven good hours of sleep. Cured my insomnia. Try it sometime. Maybe it'll work for you too. It did for me. But oh, I, I just struggle sometimes with sleep. I, 
<clears throat> I can't sleep on an airplane. Can you, any of y'all have a problem? I know some of y'all don't have that problem, but some of you maybe do. I, I can't sleep on an airplane. And uh, I was leaving out on one of those trips where we were going to have a 20-hour uh, flight time. And, man, I was going to leave in one day and, and, and fly all the way through a night and a day. And I didn't even know what time I was going to get there. I just knew sometime and way over here. I went to the same doctor. I said, Doc, you've got to get me something so I can sleep because I can't sleep on a plane. I've got to get some sleep. They said, here, take this when you, get to, when you go to board. So I took that when I board. Sure enough, man, it wasn't just a few minutes. I went to sleep. It wasn't long until I felt a jolt. And I thought, man, that was great. We were arrived. We were taken off. I, <laughs> I, I slept for about 30 minutes uh, while we were taxiing around waiting to take off. But uh, that's the only sleep I got the whole time. I, I can't. Anybody can sleep, they say, you know, when everything is quiet and good and whatever. I, I don't know about all that. I just know rest is a precious gift from God. And being able to lay your head down and go to sleep, it's one of those things we just say, thank you, Lord. When we wake up then and our eyes wake up on another sunlight, sunshine, or even wake up in the dark another day, we can say, thank you, Lord, all over again. Amen? Amen. Well... Habakkuk talked about how to rest in the time of trouble. Knowing that everything was fine, knowing that God was in control. And remember, when Habakkuk was writing this, the trouble was yet to come. It had been promised, but it hadn't arrived yet. He knew, he knew it was coming, and it wasn't very far away. And yet, even in this time of trouble, he says, God, I'm going to rest in you. You see his faith is intact and secure. Can you say that tonight? Yeah, I'm going to rest in the Lord. Rest in my time of trouble. I loved an old story. I probably told it to you before about, that Paul Harvey gave one time. And his rest of the story he talked about a lady who was cleaning house one day and she had a parakeet in a cage. For some reason, she got on a, while she was vacuuming her drapes, she had her vacuum. She had one of those old Electrolux vacuum cleaners. Y'all remember, some of y'all remember those. Some of you don't. I'm sorry. There was an <laughs> Electrolux. Looked like a torpedo, you know, something, kind of a jet engine. Sounded like one too. For some unknown reason, she decided she was going to vacuum her parakeet's cage. And of course, when she opened the door and stuck that vacuum cleaner in there, the bird flew and down. <laughs> down he went. She was mortified, of course, turned it off really quickly, popped the front, pulled the bag out, tore the bag open. There was the parakeet in there. As best she could tell, he was still alive. It is just covered in dirt. So she took him in the kitchen, he said, and, and stuck her under the sink, stuck touched the little bird under the sink and, and ran water over it and cleaned it all up. And uh, then it was all wet and kind of shivering, trembling like it was cold. So she got her hair dryer out to it. And you say, did that really happen? I don't know. Paul Harvey told the story. That's all I know. Somebody asked her, well, did the bird live? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's still alive, she said. But it doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> I 
that's a rather light-hearted way of dealing with a difficult issue. Will our faith keep us singing even when trouble comes? Did for Habakkuk. We'll see that. That's our message next week. And I want you to know tonight that our faith can do the same if we will learn that our God is a glorious God and His glory will fill this earth. Amen. If we'll remember that our God is on the throne and the proper response is to hold Him in awe and high respect. To listen because He has things under control. And then to rest, to rest even in our trouble. Which brings us all the way full circle kind of what I preached this morning because that's a great testimony for children of God to have when we can rest in the Lord in a time of trouble. People see it and they want it.